0: Welcome again to PCC. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Lucas Dorado, and I'm the RUF campus minister uh, here at UConn, and RUF is our denomination's campus ministry. And uh, so for 10 years now, this PCC has partnered with me and my family in this work uh, doing RUF at UConn. I'm just so grateful uh, for the partnership and the support uh, All kinds of financial and many other kinds of support that PCC, that you all have given uh, to me, to my family, uh, to our ministry at UConn, and just so uh, happy to get to have a chance to be with you this morning. And uh, this morning we're going to look at a text from Philippians chapter 3. And uh, Philippians is Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And if you've been around the church a while, you know Paul's background. Uh, He was a persecutor of the church, and then uh, he met Jesus. And then he became solely devoted to uh, planting churches, to spreading the gospel throughout the known world. And uh, he faced many hardships along the way, and he suffered greatly. And he actually writes this letter, uh, Locked Up. Imprisoned in Rome, and uh, what's remarkable about that is that this letter that he writes is just infused with joy. Uh, He tells the Philippians to rejoice over and over, and it's all—it's just this letter that's laced with joy, and it makes you you wonder—you know—how could you be so? It doesn't seem like you're succeeding that much. You're in prison, and that wouldn't be that great, I don't think. So, how can Paul have such resilience? Such joy, and if we're honest, we want that, right? Isn't that what we want? Like, Why why can't I be more resilient? Why can't I have more joy? And so that's what we're going to explore in this passage. Uh, We're going to look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Uh, So let me read it for us. Uh, Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. as to the law, a Pharisee; as to zeal, a persecutor of the church; as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count I counted as lost, lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we come now to this text, uh, send us your spirit. You know what we're like. You know all the baggage we bring to worship and to your word, Uh, but we are in desperate need of you this morning, and so we pray that you would apply the word to our hearts, and we pray that we would be different today because we interacted with you as you're found in your word. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Okay, so this morning we're kind of talking about this idea of resilience and joy. Uh, What is it that makes you strong and secure? How does Paul have so much resilience and joy? And, you know, as you think about that question for yourself, I think it's helpful to think about, you know, where you go when things really go wrong. You know, some things go wrong. Like, in this room there are some trials happening right now. As things are going wrong. When trials come, we're all looking to something in those circumstances for our resilience, for our joy, a place we can go. Uh, and so, you know, maybe for you, a way to think about it is, you know, when that happens, when something really goes wrong, how do you try to cheer yourself up? And you say, it's okay. What? It's okay. I've, I've got a great resume. I'll be Okay. Uh, People really like me. I'll be okay. You know, this is all, everything is awful, but I come from a great family, so I'll be fine. Or, you know, it's okay. Uh, I'm a better person than most people. I'm more talented than most people. It's okay. I'm more faithful than most people. And just... We could go on and on with the examples, but what they all have in common is that they're all ways of looking to ourselves for resilience. I'm looking to some aspect of myself uh, for resilience and joy, which is interesting because we simultaneously love and hate ourselves, right? Like, we love ourselves, first of all. Like, all you need to do is cut me off in traffic to find out that I love myself because I'm going, like, do you know who I am? Like, in that moment, I don't have to think about it. It's instinct. It's instinct. Uh, I love myself, but we also hate ourselves, and, you know, it shows in all kinds of ways. Uh, it's why we distract ourselves so much uh, when we're alone, because sometimes there's nothing worse than being alone with yourself. That's why it's nice that we can always pull out our phone if that happens now, right? Uh, so we say things to, uh, to ourselves that we would never say to anybody else. How could you? You're such an idiot. are such a failure things that we would never say to anyone else, or we readily say to ourselves. So it's interesting, then, that we would rely on ourselves for resilience and joy, that that, that, those are the places that we would go. And so I just want us to think about that idea this morning. And I want to look at at it under the headings of uh, the way we try to build our own secure identity from this passage, and then uh, the flaws with those approaches that we see in this passage. And then finally, the key to resilience and joy. So first of all, I want to look at the ways we try to build our own secure identity. Uh, and this is a great passage for that because Paul like, tells us how he does it, uh, some of the ways that he has tried to build his own secure identity in the past. And there's still things we do as well today. Like we can re- This is just a really good list for today that he gives. And there's kind of a traditional way and a modern way uh, that we can build our own secure identity. And he kind of touches on both in this passage, uh, because first of all, there's this traditional way where your family tells you who you are, or your tribe, or your background, or your culture. Uh, these things, it's not just your family, it's, it's, it's who tells you who you are. Uh, your culture, your background tells you who you are. And this is how the world operated for a long time. Uh, We see it mostly today in things like royalty and celebrity, Uh, you know, Simba in The Lion King, if you've seen that movie, grows up knowing that he's going to be a king, right? And so he's brushing up on looking down and working on his roar because he just can't wait to be king. Uh, His whole understanding of who he is is based on his family's expectation of him. Uh, and Paul actually used to be this way, he says, and he calls it, he, he says he used to put confidence in the flesh. Uh, it's this way of saying, I used to put confidence in where I came from and who I am, uh, and he lists it off. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, it's this way of saying, like, I'm a descendant of Abraham who is the man in the Bible, by the way. And I have the right background. I even know I'm in this tribe. I can trace it. I have the right pedigree. So for Paul, it was it's okay. I have the right background. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. So if anyone's set, it's me. And that's kind of the traditional approach, right? I'm connected to a family, uh, something that makes me secure. and, And I know who I am. And then there's this modern approach, which is more common today, which is where we look... Inward to find out who we are uh, to form our own secure identity, and you know today we kind of say it doesn't matter what family you're from, what culture you're from, just follow your heart. Or the way people say it now is you know you do you, you figure it out. You don't need to listen to anyone else uh, to be secure, to know who you are, uh, to know that you're going to be okay. Um, you know it's like I get to decide. I am my own person, and who you are then becomes a lot about what you do. Uh, it becomes a lot about the choices you make that kind of define who you are. It's what you produce uh, that makes you you and what makes you secure. And Paul did a little of this too. He says, you know, as to the law of Pharisee, uh, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law blameless. He's saying, like, if you look at, like, what I produced, there wasn't anybody producing anything better. Uh, I was, like, today, Pharisee kind of has a negative connotation for many of us, because we think, like, hypocrite, but back then, Pharisee was it. You reached the pinnacle if you were a Pharisee, and you were really well-respected because of what you do, how you perform. And so uh, there's these two ways, then, uh, that you can try to be secure to find your joy, you know, either in where you come from or what you produce, essentially. And I want to look now at the flaws with those ways of building your own secure identity. And Paul gets right to that in verse 7 because he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss. I count them as rubbish. And so he's, you know, he's talking about his resume, how he performed. He's talking about his heritage, where he comes from. He, everything that he's produced, this uh, all his uh, practice of religion and everything good that he's done, he says, it's all R- rubbish is just a really polite translation of this word. That's all I'm going to say. It's just, it's dung. It's excrement. It's nothing. It's worthless. Um, so what's, what's wrong with building your security, your identity, your joy this way? And what's wrong with it is that he says it's, it's crushing. There's, no, there's actually no security in that. Uh, think about the traditional approach. You know We think of ourselves not so much this way anymore, uh, but there's lots of ways in which we still are looking to our background, our culture, our family, something like that for our sense of identity and security. Uh, For instance, where you come from can still be kind of a big deal. For many of us, it is. Uh, Some of us feel pressure when we gather with extended family to have something to show for ourselves, Uh, to have significant accomplishments to display, or to carry on a family name in some way, uh, or just to be doing okay, to not be rocking the boat too much, uh, to not be the problem. Uh, the family you come from can still mean a lot in some circles. Uh, you know, some of us have families that have pinned their hopes on us in some way, and we feel that. And if that's you, you know how miserable it can be to feel that pressure. Uh, I talk to a lot of college students uh, at UConn over the years. I've talked to many, many college students, and we talk a lot about pressure that they feel. And it's interesting because you know a lot of it seems to be coming from family and parents, but the parents are all pretty, gr- like, most of the parents say, like, we love you no matter what, and you can be whoever you want, and and they still, it doesn't, that doesn't alleviate the pressure. There's just this sense of, like, no, I have to, I come from this place, and I have to perform this way, and there's no other option, and, and when uh, trials start to come in, it's just devastating. It just levels them. Um, okay, so you know, that's why Paul says, look out for the dogs. That's why he says, look out for the evildoers. It's kind of, it seems kind of drastic, right? Like you expect him to say something really bad there. And he says, you know, for those that, look out for those that mutilate the flesh. And what he's talking about is circumcision. And uh, circumcision was this, like, uh, you know, it's symbolic of the whole kind of ceremonial law. So these are people. So who he's telling them to look out for? Are people who claim Jesus. They say believing in Jesus is important, but you want to check off a few of those boxes too, circumcised and you know, eat the right way, just in case, you know, dress the right way, associate with the right people. So faith in Jesus is good, but make sure to do these other things also. And that gets Paul extremely worked up here. Why is he so worked up? Because he knows that this approach to finding security and identity will be crushing. Okay? There's no security in it. Because what if you fail to live up to the expectations? Then what? What if you fail at one point? What if there's a box that you can't check off for yourself? Well, what then? And so a lot of us uh, give up on the traditional approach altogether. As a society, we seem to have given up on the traditional approach altogether, and we go straight to the modern approach of you do you. You decide. You know, who cares what anyone else thinks? You decide. And it's, what you've got to see is it's just as crushing, if not worse, to live this way. Uh, it sounds kind of nice at first. I get to do whatever I want? Okay. I say who I say I am, and you know, I am who I say I am, but it's actually crushing because it becomes this never-ending treadmill of doing. You know, when could you ever say you did enough? We never arrive. There's no, like, complete, any, like, sense of being complete. Uh, No place where we get to stop performing, and there's no security. Uh, Because if you are what you do, you have to keep doing. And when can you say you've done enough? Or what if you really mess up? Then what? Uh, What if people surpass you? How can you know you're okay? Uh, Every year, twice a year, I go to a training week, an RUF training week, where all the RUF staff from around the country gather uh, in Denver. I'm actually going in a few weeks, and uh, it's really great. You know, people from all over the country uh, who work for RUF, uh, we gather. The fellowship is amazing, Uh, but it's also, it can be challenging. It has been challenging in the past because I walk into a room where there's 150 other guys that do my exact job. And so, you know, if I walk into that room finding any kind of security or identity or joy and like, I'm a pretty good campus minister, it gets flattened instantly because it's a big room of guys that do my job. And some of them, you know, they have ministries 10 times the size of mine, 20 times. Uh, Some of them, you know, they've read 10 times more books than me. They know way more. Uh, some of them, you talk, I talk to them, and at the end of the conversation, I feel so loved that I want to enroll in their college and be their student. You know? Some of them look like fitness models. You know. And it's just like, are you sure you shouldn't be on the cover of Men's Health or something like that? Are you sure you should be a campus minister? Um, some of them have written books. You know, there's just all these places, these areas, where I could look and just feel drastically inadequate about myself. If my security is in, you know, look what I produce, look what I bring to the table. I'm a pretty good campus minister. Uh, It won't hold me up in that room. It definitely won't hold me up uh, as I face difficulties in my ministry. Um, So I I recently saw this video, an interview with uh, Lady Gaga, who's one of the greatest performers of our time. She performed at the Super Bowl a few years ago. She's kind of at whatever you think of her, she's just kind of at the pinnacle of performing today. And uh, she was getting ready to perform at Madison Square Garden to a sold-out concert. And she was being interviewed and she began to weep. And she began to talk about how it's just not enough. Like she's, I know I'm playing Madison Square Garden. And I'm supposed to be happy, happy, but I still just kind of feel like a loser kid in high school. You know, uh, I should be happy, but I just, I, I just can't shake that feeling uh, that I'm a loser kid in high school. Okay. You'll never, you know, you can reach the pinnacle and it won't be enough not to be secure. Uh, that's why social media exists and why the like button exists, right? Because they know, the people who do run this stuff know that we live for the likes, you know? And, you know, if you get 11 likes, you think, well, why not 12, though? You know, who, where's that other friend? Why didn't they like it? You know, here's, I'm putting something out there, and who's going to like it? Uh, we're so insecure, and we live for that stuff, not to mention that we often just fall drastically short of the expectations we have for ourselves. Uh, A while back early on in my time at UConn, uh, there was a student who showed up late at night at the student union food court in a drunken stupor demanding jalapeno bacon, mac and cheese. And there was, there was also a student there with a phone camera filming him. And they refused to serve him because he was so inebriated. They just said, no, you have to leave. And he began this tirade where he was just laying into the employees of uh, the Yukon food court, telling them how much better he was than them and how ashamed they should be for working late night in the food court. And And it's all on video. It goes viral quickly. Like, I have a friend that lives in Alabama who the next day is like, I saw this video of a UConn student. It's it's all over national news. This guy, at his worst, and it was bad. Like, the university turned on him. He was kicked out. And everyone is just talking about how awful of a person this guy is. And uh, later on, after he got kicked out, he made an apology video, and he kind of put that out there. And it was a pretty sincere. He seemed to feel pretty bad about what he had done. And one of the things he said in there that stuck out to me was he said, I don't know. I, he said, I watched that video, and I don't know who that is, which is an interesting thing. And it kind of shows that he doesn't quite get it. Uh, it shows that he's building some sense of an identity of, on, like, I'm a pretty good person. And when the reality is, it's you. It's, it shows you exactly who you are, and the reality is, it's who we are, too. Like, none of us are any better than this guy. But someone caught him at the right moment. You know, now everyone has a camera everywhere, so there's videos like this everywhere. People lose it in Target, and someone's there with a video catching them at their worst. He got caught at his worst. If you're looking to who you are and what you do for security, then you'll never be able to be honest about yourself. You just won't. You won't be able to face it. If we tell ourselves, you know, I'm okay because I'm a good person. I do good things. And then someone catches us at our worst, we'll be crushed. That's why marriage can be hard. That's why all close relationships can expose us so much because if we get close enough to a person, they're going to see everything and it's not going to be pretty all the time. So that's why we hide. We can hide in the closest of relationships. Uh, that's why we promote. That's why we can just like, make sure to sneak in that good part about ourselves in every conversation we have. And that living like that is exhausting. And you know what it eliminates? Joy. There's No joy in life when you're hiding and when you're promoting. And that's why Paul can, say, can look at all these ways of trying to find security and resilience and joy, and he can say, they're just garbage. And that's where we get to the key to resilience and joy. We see it in verse 9. Uh, Paul says that the key is to gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. And uh, Will talk some about this idea of righteousness last week if you were here. And righteousness, the way I explain it to students often, is it's your resume. It's what you have to show for yourself uh, to God. You know, part of the trouble of making a resume is you have to put all your best stuff onto one sheet and hand it in and hope it works for you. And uh, that's kind of like what righteousness is like. It's like, you know, this is me condensed into like this is all I've produced and this is all my good uh, stuff. It's all on here. And uh, that's your righteousness. And Paul is saying, I have a righteousness now and it's not mine. It came from God. It came through Christ. It's actually Christ's righteousness. He did all the stuff, and I can I have it now by faith. Uh, I want you to think about how that can change you. Uh, this Christmas, Covent, the town of Coventry had a Christmas lights contest. Anybody go see the Christmas lights around Coventry? No one. Okay, was not well publicized. One person, um, but uh, they like around twelve or so houses uh, entered in, into this contest, and it was this thing where. I don't know. It was like you can kind of tour. They made a map, and you can go check on each of the lights, and uh, and then they would determine who was the winner. And so my family did this. We got in the minivan at night and drove around. And there was uh, there were a few houses that were really good. Like people put in a lot of work, better than I could do, and it looked really great. And there were a few houses that were like I could have done that if I cared, but I don't. So. Uh, Good try, but you're not going to win. And, uh, and then there was one house over on Brigham Tavern Road. Uh, it's this, they have an amazing yard. It's this like terraced, manicured, beautiful yard. And then they must have called in like the folks from Disney World or something to come set up the lights. So I don't know what they, how they accomplished this, but it was just incredible. Like, the light, like we went there several times uh, just to look at the lights, and every time we went there, there were other cars there just, like, stopping and looking at all the lights and how beautiful they were and how amazing they were, and so uh, weeks later, we, at the breakfast table, my family was sitting around, and we said, we were thinking, like, well, who won the lights contest? Let's look it up, and so we look it up, and uh, first prize, some house we don't even remember, Second house, second prize, same, third prize, same. And we're just like, what? And then there's a footnote that says, uh, the house from Brigham Tavern Road withdrew from the contest. Why do you think they withdrew? I, don't, I didn't talk to them, but I can imagine that uh, they knew themselves to be so far superior to everyone else that what would be the point of winning a contest? okay. How much more righteous is Jesus than any other human that has ever walked the earth? I want to suggest to you that the gap is far larger than that Christmas lights gap, okay? Uh, Do you know that that's the resume you now have if you're a Christian? Like, that's the resume you show to anyone, to God. You have it. You didn't earn it, though. Okay, like the difference, the illustration breaks down because those people on Brigham Tavern Road put in the work. I don't know if they paid somebody or did it themselves, but like they earned it. They earned that status. Uh, So, you know, in terms of Christmas lights, the gospel is actually a little different. The gospel is you had horrible lights. You worked hard on them and it looked like a toddler did it. And then in, you know, ashamed and angered rage, you went over to Brigham Tavern Road and you smashed every light there. And they responded by setting up their lights again, but at your house. That's the gospel. And I know that's a silly illustration for it, but imagine for a second that that happened. Would you be at all prideful about your lights? Would you feel at all the need to win a Christmas lights contest? Would you maybe be compelled to help other people with their lights? The cross means we already have the righteousness. Uh, It's the righteousness, like the true righteousness. We didn't earn it. We earned the opposite, in fact. Uh, But the full measure of Christ's righteousness is actually ours today. It's yours. You know, what's on the resume? Son of God, never sinning, a life of astounding holiness, always obeying, always loving devotion to the Lord, faithfulness, kindness, stunning and miraculous displays of mercy and love. That's what's on your resume if you belong to Jesus. Think of the security you would have if you lived in that reality. You'd be able to give. What do you have to lose? You have the resume. You can give it all away. You'd be resilient. You know, suffering is going to come to everyone's life at some point, and when it does, you need to be able to know I have the resume. Like, nothing bad can ultimately happen to me if I have this. You know, when you fail, it doesn't crush you. It doesn't destroy you when you look bad. Uh, you can Because you're not worried about yourself and consumed with yourself all the time, you can step out and begin to love people, to notice people that need to be loved. And so that's what Paul calls the power of the resurrection in verse 10. The resurrection is just the receipt that it worked, that the transaction happened, that Christ took all our sin and he gave us his righteousness, and there's a power in that, okay? The power is to make you uh, resilient and joyful and holy. So the secret of resilience and joy is allowing the gospel to be the only thing that defines you. Uh, this week I heard an excerpt of a sermon from Alistair Begg, the Scottish preacher. And he brought up the idea, the example of the thief on the cross. And you know, if you know that story, Jesus is crucified between two thieves. And one of them is made to believe in, in, in Jesus. And he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. And Alistair Begg says to imagine, let's imagine heaven when the thief arrives. And, uh, you know, someone says to the thief, what are you doing here? Well, what would you say? I don't know. Huh, you don't know? Well, surely you know the doctrine of justification by faith. No, I don't. Uh, surely you know the Bible really well. No. But you were a follower of Jesus, though, right? No. Hmm. So what are you doing here? And all the thief would have to say is, the man on the middle cross told me I could come. The man on the middle cross told me I could come is literally all that that thief has. And it's everything. Everything. Uh, Paul, in spite of being a pretty remarkable Christian, has come to understand that that's all he has, too. That's what he's saying in this passage. It's all I have, and it's all you have, too, today, no matter what you think you have. Uh, unlike everything else you have or think you have, you cannot lose it. So the gospel is I'm a sinner saved by grace, I have a righteousness that's not my own, I'm free. I can rejoice in the Lord. I can glory in Christ Jesus. I can lose everything. My reputation can be tarnished. I can end up in jail. My family can fall apart. I can fail at everything I try and be universally known as a failure. I can get sick and die. It won't matter. Because I rejoice in the Lord. Uh, Let's pray that that would be our story. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we confess that we look to many other things besides Christ uh, to give us our hope, our joy, our security, our resilience, our life. Uh, We pray that we would come to see those things for what they are, which is truly rubbish in comparison to knowing Jesus, uh, in comparison to the righteousness uh, that we have as a free gift in him. We pray that we would cling to it. Uh, We pray that it would transform us, that it would make us into the people uh, that you created us to be. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.